Welcome back, everyone, to the Dairy Science Digest. This is a podcast designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. I'm Reagan Bluell with the University of Missouri Dairy Team, and each month I feature a fresh, new research article in press waiting to go to print. And for this July edition of the podcast, Dr. Jean Dorisher joins us today from Quebec, Canada, to discuss the featured article in press in the Journal of Dairy Science titled, Bayesian Estimation of Sensitivity and Specificity of Milk Pregnancy, associated glycoproteins, PAGs, and ELISA test for pregnancy diagnosis between 23 and 27 days after insemination in Holstein cattle. So before we get going, would you be so kind to introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, thanks. So first of all, thank you for the for the invitation. It's my pleasure to be, to be here with you today. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm a veterinarian. And I'm working for a company named Lactanet, which is the, the DHI organization in Canada. And one part of my, of, of my job is to supervise the, the pregnancy testing service we're offering for dairy cows to, to milk sample. And so our clients have two options. So they can run the PAG test on either a DHI sample collected at milk recording or a hand strip sample collected at their convenience in between milk recording. And as you probably know, there's a few commercial pack testing products available in North America. They are validated on either blood and or milk samples. And the manufacturers claim that their products are accurate, usually starting 28 to 29 days Mm -hmm. Mm post-breeding. And the idea of that project really come came from our clients who were simply asking us, so would it be possible to run the test before 28 days post AI? So we're looking to see if she's in standing heat at day 21, but if we had this test that we could collect a quarter sample and look at day 23 and and maybe amplify that ability to rebreed if necessary. Tell us a little bit about, for those listeners that have maybe heard about PAGs or pregnancy-associated glycoproteins, but maybe don't really understand it, can you describe what what exactly are PAGs and, and how does that come to be? Okay, so so first of all, there's there's different PAGs. So in fact, we talk about PAGs instead of PAG. So there are many PAGs, and they, they, they are simply glycoproteins that are produced by the placenta. So which means that if you have PAGs, you have a placenta, and if you have a placenta, you have a pregnancy. This is as simple as that. So this is a, a protein that is really specific for the pregnancy instead of progesterone, for example, which is something, which is something produced by the, the CL. So you can have progesterone even if the cow is not, is not truly pregnant. And so as I was going through your paper and looking, I guess dairy producers in general are mostly interested in making sure that we identify that animal that's pregnant is pregnant and the one that's not as open. But I guess more than anything, I think every dairy producer out there listening might be worried about that possibility of calling the pregnant cow open. So could you talk through how did you make sure that your PAG analysis prevented that? Okay, so first of all, at the very beginning of the project, or when you offer such, such a service to your clients, you have to try to find out what's are really your client's expectations and try to, to translate that into, let's say, epidemiological terms that you will be able to, you know, to, to use as guidelines. So my clients, what they expect from a, from a PAG test 
in their words, if you tell them about the possibility of false negative tests, which is calling open a car that is pregnant, usually their answer will be no way. <laughs> so they don't want to right. say that. So if we try to translate that into epidemiological terms, I will say that the negative predictive value of your test or your the accuracy of your test when you say no, when you say open, should be above 99%. So mm -hmm. this is what will really guide us. There's also the possibility of some false positive tests. So because of the dynamic of the protein, so when a cow will drop a pregnancy, so the, the pack will start declining gradually. So there's a possibility, at least a theoretical possibility, that if a, a, an abortion just occurs a few days before you run the test, so the, uh, the pack will, will stay high when you sample the cow and you will have a false positive. This is happening rarely, but again, when we explain that to our producer. So their answer is, okay, I understand that, but since I'm running a confirmation test, let's say a month after, around mm -hmm. two months of pregnancy, mm -hmm. uh, I'm ready to accept that, but I don't want to see that very often. And again, if I try to translate that into epidemiological terms, they're looking at a positive predictive value or an accuracy of the test when we say, yes, she's pregnant, that will be above 95%. So this is what really guide us. So we want to avoid false negative tests and we want to minimize the risk of false positive, uh, of false positive tests. Could you expand on how did you gather up the data to determine if this PAGS test was going to be effective at these low days post-insemination? Hey, that's a good question. So first of all, we, we selected two herds to, to be part of that, of that project. And so there was one Thai style barn and one freestyle barn. And most importantly, so these two guys were already, you know, testing packs with us. So they were used to the sampling procedure, the shipping procedure. So they were doing a good job. They have complete data. So we, they, they, they had also a monthly visit by their veterinary practitioner. And we had all the information related to the, the PAG test, the result of the PAG test, the result of the ultrasound, breeding date, as well as any other you know, reproductive events, so eat, blood, and, and things like that. So that was very important for us to start with. Then we asked these two guys, okay, you're, you're already testing you know, once a week with this PAG test above 28 days because this is you know, uh, the way we proceed actually. So what we'll ask you now is to, on, on a weekly basis, you will select all cows between 23 and 27 days. You'll send us a, a, a milk sample. We will test them. And then the week after, we ask us to retest them with the PAG test. So we will be able to compare these, you know, these two results. Mm -hmm. If it's more convenient for you, if the vet is there on the second week, for example, if you want, if you want to run an ultrasound instead of the, of the PAG test, that's fine. And then basically, we will compare the two results of the, of the test. And you know, if we go back with the, the Bayesian term, so what is a Bayesian analysis? So basically, this is a statistical analysis that take into consideration that we're comparing two imperfect tests. So the test under investigation before 28 days for sure, we don't know how accurate it is. Right. And the other test that we use as a reference test, it's an, uh, it, it will be either an ultrasound or a PAG test. We know that these two tests are performed very well, but they're not perfect. Right. So this statistical analysis is just taking that into consideration. And at the end, it gave us a result. So considering all these facts, considering also the fact that a, 
a cow that is pregnant at 26 days and open at 28 days might have simply have dropped the pregnancy during this time interval. There's a lot of things that can happen in seven days uh, in reproduction. So you take all these things in consideration and then you just report what is the expected accuracy of the, of the test. So kind of talking about what that looks like for the dairy producer that's interested in maybe pursuing this, it really is just as simple as utilizing those DHIA milk sample tubes and and stripping from a quarter sample and, and submitting that with the preservative pellet. Is that correct? That's it. That's it. So DHI sample, as well as NSTRIP sample, they have these Bronopol tablets just to preserve the sample, just to make sure that they're okay. It's a pretty robust system. So in wintertime, even if the, if, if the sample is freezing, there's no problem. And in summertime, for sure, the Bronopol is protecting for the, uh, against degradation of the, uh, of the sample. For producers, since they, they collect milk sample at DHI, they, they like to use them to, to test for, so it's less work for them. So they like to use them. But in between tests, for sure, they, since they're just you know, doing DHI once a month, so they have an interest also for, for testing. So we use a combination of both, uh, both systems. And for those of you that are out there listening, thinking, well, uh, I don't know if I could do this once a week, you got to take into consideration the why. The why would be so that you could shave off days in in milk, ultimately, by being able to get that animal confirmed pregnant sooner. And this could be as early as uh, seven to 10 days sooner than what you were originally looking at. And in a reproductive window, when when you're saying the cost of those days open, that, that starts to add up and you can have a multiplicative effect through through your entire herd where this is this is true dollars and cents. So for your particular DHI lab, what would the cost or what is a standard cost for these milk pregnancy tests? Yeah, the way we work, actually, we're for sure everything is in Canadian dollars. So you'll have to make the conversion to US dollar. So we charge $6.75 for each test. And when you're running such a test, so there's a, so we will call the, 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 the cow open or pregnant, or the, but there's also a gray zone. So there's a threshold for open cow, a threshold for pregnant cow, and then in between there's a gray zone. So some of the samples might end up as what we call recheck. So there, this is a doubtful result, we don't know. And when we have such a result, we don't charge for that. So we only charge when we're, we have a clear answer to give to the producer. So that's the way we have decided to work. Maybe it's not the, all the people that are working that way. So we charge maybe a little bit more, but mm-hmm. we charge when we have a, a clear answer. A definitive answer. Very that's good. It. Well, and I, th- I thought it was quite noteworthy as I was looking through the different figures, how much variation on the y-axis there really is. And so it appears like some cows, even on day 23, have a fairly significant amount of uh, PAGs present. But then other cows just simply don't. can get all the way out to day 27, which is pretty darn close to that 28 that we're accustomed to, and they still have a PAGS threshold that's almost just barely 23. And so do you have any sort of uh, inference or, or speculation as to why some cows read the book and some don't? Yeah, but there's a few things we know for sure that has an impact on, uh, on the PAG value. The first one is milk production. So the, uh, for sure, there's some type of dilution effect. Uh, the more the cow is producing milk, the less the pack value will be. Uh, there's also a paper that was published in Spanish, in, in, in Spain, I'm sorry, a few years ago, that even showed that pack values in blood are impacted by milk production, which means that there's some type of metabolic effect. 
So when the metabolism is stimulated a lot, maybe pack values will be will, will go down. There's a bull effect also, there's season effect. So there's a lot of things that are affecting. And you're right, unfortunately, not all the cow reads the same, the same book. And so that's why it's so important. What producers are telling me is that we are ready to start testing at the day you can guarantee me that your negative predictive value or your accuracy when you say open will be close to 100%. So they understand that nothing is perfect in life, but they want us to be very, very close to 100%. Of course, absolutely. And and as you were saying, there is a bit of a breed effect potentially, and this this analysis was conducted on, on Holstein herds. What does the literature say about, say, jerseys? Are you familiar with any background on jersey pags? I've not seen any actually anything in the literature but i can tell you that we are for sure we're, we're testing jersey and we know that on average pack values on jerseys are higher than Osteen. Hmm. now the question is and that's what we're looking at actually is it high enough to modify the threshold in that breed or the difference is not uh, important enough that's what we're looking actually so uh, so uh, there may be a possibility eventually in the future that we will ask for the breed and we will have, we will have a different interpretation breed for jerseys compared to, uh, to Austin. We have looked also at the values from Ayrshire because we have some Ayrshire in Quebec mm-hmm. and they're just in between Jersey and Austin. So they're a bit higher than Austin, but lower than Jersey. Really interesting. I think it's fascinating. And just in general, I think it's really fascinating that anything can change in a great enough concentration only a few days into gestation to have a quantifiable result. I mean, it's just really profound to me. Um, And uh, it's pretty amazing. And that's why it's so important, you know, to, to adjust just using a fixed threshold all through the pregnancy will make your accuracy vary a lot depending on where you are. So you have to take into consideration that this pack, these pack values are varying. And also the, the physiology of the pregnancy is different. For example, there's more abortion you know, early on, around 30 days compared to 60 days, which will make your risk of having false positive higher. Mm-hmm. But there's a way to control that. So you can, you know, going up with the threshold and try to, to adapt. So again, it's, all, it's always a matter of maximizing your negative and predictive value, and not having too many of these rechecked uh, rechecked tests, because even if they don't pay for that, producer don't like that. Sure, absolutely. It it can be it can be a source of frustration when you've collected that sample and you don't get the result that you're looking for. Yeah, um, you have to you have to retest next week, and no one like that for sure. It is a double edged sword though, because it it's better to to recheck than to have false positive or negative. Yeah, all right. I just was so excited about the opportunity to start checking earlier. I guess the first question that came into my mind when I started reading this was, I wonder what made you pursue this? And I think you kind of addressed that a little bit in the introduction, but um, do you have many producers currently exploring that 23-day setup? And how are they implementing that into their resync program? Yeah. First of all, there's some producer, for example, that are using resync a lot. They're testing on the, on, the, on a weekly basis. And that told me, so we don't really need that because everything is set up that we run the pregnancy testing, let's say at 30, at 30 days or at 28 days. And we're satisfied with that. So for us, just, you know, going down a few days is not useful. But for many of them, actually, I think it's the same thing in, in the U.S. also. There's more and more 
of these herds that are using other type of synchronization. Let's say they, they, they rely on the heat detection system, on monitoring, and then you will have cow that will be bred at different times. And even if you want to resynchronize them at, at, at the same time. So this tool or testing sooner is, is seen like uh, having a more flexible system instead of just saving some days open. So mm -hmm. it's, I will be able to test a group of cow at different stage and then regroup everyone and just synchronize everyone. So, so there's, you know, there's people that will be very interested for other people it will be less interested and we understand that. So. Mm -hmm. It does provide a, a really nice opportunity to gain information. And anytime you can gather information about what's happening in the uterus of your herd, that can be insightful. Very good. Jean, you've, you've got a fantastic research article here that's talking a lot about specificity and sensitivity. But what does that truly mean to boots on the ground dairymen? What would you like to, to say to those guys that are, are working in their reproductive window? So first of all, I want to say that this study we ran was, we really want to know, would it be possible to go before 28 days? Is there any potential that we go before, before 28 days? The answer is clearly yes. But now we have to answer another question, which be, what will be the best threshold to use at these different days? Is it the same one? Is it the different one? And how can we reach clients' expectation, which is giving them a test that, you know, when we say open, it will be accurate, close to above 98%. So it will be close to 100%. And we, I have to be honest with you, we have run some other field trial after we, we run the, the, fir the first one. And actually, uh, what we realize is that we're, we're still improving the test, but we are offering the test at 26 and 27 days, because at that time, we know that it's accurate enough for open cows. And we won't probably offer the test at 23 and, and 24 days, for example, because we have a few of these cows that have a very low pack value and suddenly a few days after they're very high. So in other words, there's too many false negatives at that time. So that this is where we just, you know, put the the line. So actually we're offering it commercially by 26 days. It's working well at 26 and 27 days. And we're still refining to lower down the number of inconclusive tests we have just to make sure that, okay, these one are truly pregnant. These one are truly open. So the tests will not be more accurate, let's see, in, in the year from now, but we will continue to lowering down the number of recheck results we will have. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And listeners, I applaud you for taking time out of your day today to learn about how this early pregnancy diagnosis could potentially help your herd in the future. I've really enjoyed our conversation because this can have a profound effect on your on your herds, days in milk, and overall reproductive strategy. This has been the July edition of Dairy Science Digest, which is a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to your ears. We highlight peer-reviewed research articles in press, sound science that you can base your management decisions around provided by your University of Missouri. So if you like this, be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future editions straight to your cell phone. This is Reagan Bluell with the Dairy Science Digest, and I hope you have a great day.